Hey everybody, this is Jeannie Faulkner and you are listening to Pregnancy, Parenting, and Politics, the podcast where we talk about that. We talk about our births, our babies, and our big kids, our adult kids, Um, and we also talk about motherhood, parenthood, fatherhood, and the ways our lives are connected in big and little ways to our culture, society, government policies, and politics. Now, I am recording this February of 2021, and we are looking at all kinds of ways that politics impacts our lives right now, like COVID testing and vaccines, climate change and people freezing in Oregon and Texas. We're talking about student loan debt, COVID relief packages, and how to safely educate our little ones. All of these are topics that directly relate to our lives as parents, and so that's what we talk about here on the podcast. Now, as you know, I live in Portland, Oregon, and this week we had a snowstorm topped with freezing rain. Trees and power lines crashed down all over town, and hundreds of thousands of us were without electricity. Now, my power was out for a day and a half, and we were damn cold. Some of my fellow Portlanders and people who live just outside of town are still without power, and it might be days to come before they're fixed up again. I am one of the lucky ones. I have a fireplace, a gas stove, a gas water heater, and so we huddled up under blankets and wore extra layers, and we were fine. Other people aren't doing so well, and I'm thinking especially of our growing houseless population here, our old people and new parents with tiny babies. Now, remember last week when I talked about the little ways we can really help people out in direct impact ways, ways we can take care of each other in really, really simple ways? Well, this week, see what you can do for those who are really suffering. You can make donations to city services and organizations that take care of people living on the streets and Frankly, Portland has a huge population of houseless people. You can also call the family with the new baby down the block and ask them if they ask them if they need anything. Or better yet, don't ask them because people reflexively say, no, we're good, we're fine. Instead, tell them you're going to drop something off on their porch and that you wanted to make sure they know you are here to help them. Then bake them something or pick up a bundle of firewood or a fresh package of diapers and drop it off. Now about the old people, do anything you can safely, will you? Shovel their walk, drop off groceries, call and check in, make them some soup, whatever it is. The goal is to make a personal connection, add a little cheer, and let them know that they can call on you to help if they get into real trouble. Let's be good people, shall we? Let's help those right around us as well as those a few rings out. Last week, I uh, mentioned the Momnibus Bill, which was introduced by Representatives Lauren Underwood and Alma Adams, who co-chair the House's Black Maternal Health Caucus. And Senator Cory Booker announced the act via a virtual press conference. We've also talked here on the podcast quite a bit about the fact that Black women die at rates of three to five times more often than white women from pregnancy-related conditions due to unequal access to healthcare, structural racism, and biases in the healthcare system. Now, the Momnibus Bill would fund community organizations and state and local local governments working to improve maternal health outcomes, training programs on bias, racism, and discrimination in maternity care settings. 
and efforts to grow the perinatal workforce. It would also address social determinants of health, and that means things like housing, food, water, transportation, childcare, healthcare. All of these factors are directly related to how healthy a woman is before, during, and after her pregnancy. And we're hoping that the new Senate will pass the bill and will make some real headway. Now, last February, just a year ago, I interviewed Kimberly Seals Allers for the first time. She is an award-winning journalist, speaker, and advocate who is focused on equity in maternal and infant health. She's also the creator of Earth, I-R-T-H, the app that's addressing dire maternal health outcomes for women of color. Earth, that's birth without the B for bias, helps women find prenatal birthing, postpartum, and pediatric reviews of care from other black and brown women. It's like a Yelp review for healthcare that lets women recommend or steer away from specific healthcare providers or clinics. And it's interesting to listen back on this. When we talked last February, we talked a lot about the issues and conditions that women face that lead to more women of color dying from pregnancy-related conditions than white women. I wanted to reintroduce these topics in tandem with the introduction of the Momnibus Bill by revisiting this interview with Kimberly. Now, it took place, this interview, before COVID-19 and all of the Black Lives Matter demonstrations hit our lives this year. But Kimberly and I talked again just about a month or so after that, when we were a month, I think, into the pandemic, and you know, we were still figuring things out. I just wanted to talk about that again. I wanted to hear from Kimberly, and that's what we're going to do this week. We're going to revisit that first interview. First, we'll take a real, real quick break. We're back and ready to listen to my interview with Kimberly Seals Allers, which we taped and aired February of last year, pre-pandemic. Hi, Kimberly. It's Jeannie. How are you? Hi, Jeannie. I'm well. How are you? I'm doing really well. I'm having a really, really good morning. And uh, it could have gone so many different directions, but so far I'm knocking on wood. All right. That's that's great. Yeah, yeah. Kimberly, are you in New York? I am. I love it. I love New York. It's my second favorite city in the world, primarily because my daughter lives there. I'm in <laughs> Portland, Oregon. Is that your first favorite city? I don't know. I It varies. <laughs> every time I go someplace, it's my favorite city. So I just leave every other one as second favorite. Portland's good, but it's February and it's gloomy, gray, and rainy. So my listeners are used to me whining quite a lot about it. Well, we are in the same wine today, Jeannie, because it is gloomy, gray, and rainy in New York and has been for several days. So we are all in a Portland vibe right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have company. You have okay, company. Okay, good. Across the nation. <laughs> Across the nation. Yeah. Well, Kimberly, I know that we only have about a half hour to talk to you today, and I am super excited that um, you're here to talk with me and our listeners. And I read a bit of your bio before I got you on the line. So my first question is the real hard esoteric one. Who are you and what do you do? Mm. Well, 
I see myself as a change agent. My goal is to uh, change the motherhood experience for all women. Um, and I often say like motherhood changed my life. And now I try to change the motherhood experience for all, for all, all, all other women. Um, and so that's really about who I am. I had a wonderful career in journalism. I was a writer at Fortune Magazine, a senior editor at Essence. And when I became uh, a mother, it really shifted things for me. You know, the things that mattered didn't matter so much anymore. And I became incredibly fascinated about the experiences women were having uh, in birth and breastfeeding. And so um, I, you know, was one of these people who probably over-researched myself uh, when I was pregnant the first time. and was learning way too much information thanks to Dr. Google. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, just really as a journalist was asking a lot of questions that no one seemed to have answers for. Um And that really started with one, kind of looking at the policy gaps in general, but also looking at what was happening uniquely to Black women in pregnancy. In fact, my very first book, which came out in 2006, uh, was a pregnancy guidebook for Black women. It was really the first of its kind because I'm not a doctor, right? So Mm -hmm. it wasn't about a medical prescriptive, this is what you should do for the 40 weeks, but it really looked at the sociocultural landscape to really kind of ask this question about why Black women uh, were having uh, statistically having these poor birth outcomes, regardless of education or class. Um, and so, you know, that kind of started me on this journey of looking at things differently. I think there are a lot of things around the birth and breastfeeding and motherhood spectrum that we have grown to take for granted, even though it's incredibly horrible. Um, and I really began this journey of inquiry for me to, to start to question some of those things. And some of those things were about what was happening, uh, in racial disparities, but others were about, the policy gaps and the role of commercial interests and how we feed our children and how we birth our babies and to really look bigger at some of these issues. So that's what I love to do. That is a really good answer to that question. And, (laughs) um, you know, I'm always interested in how women find their way into the birth industry. And, um, you know, my path is that I was a labor and delivery nurse for 20-something years and um, then got into, you know, advocacy and writing and sort of trying to tackle very similar issues as you were from a different angle. But in 2006, we were just starting to really, we were really ramping up with some pretty atrocious healthcare policies in hospitals that impacted all women, but I think primarily women of color. And for listeners who aren't quite aware yet, um, African-American women, maternal mortality rate is four to five times what it is for Caucasian women. And, you know, even if women survive, their chances of having a poor outcome, an injury, or just plain old lousy care is super high. And we're always asking ourselves why, but the real questions are systemic. Am I wrong? No, you're absolutely right. And also, I mean, I live in New York City, you know, uh, your your second favorite city, my first favorite city, but here the black maternal mortality rate is 12 times that of white women. Um, And so when we're looking at advanced locations, places that we think of as progressive and and having loads of resources, we know that this is not a resource issue. Um, The other thing that is important to note is that, you know, black women's birth outcomes... um, 
uh, are not uh, are not improved by education and class. And I say that to mean that when white women's birth outcomes improve with education and income. That is not the case for black women. And so, you know, this was part of my uh, my shock moment when I became pregnant. I was blessed to have been educated. I was actually finishing my master's at Columbia while I was pregnant. Um, and I was blessed to not be poor. And I didn't know that I was statistically still at the same risk as my disadvantaged sisters. And so, you know, income and class do not are not protective for black women as they are for white women. And so once you get to that point and you kind of filter out all of these things that they have said were the reasons, you really do have to start looking at the system and you have to start looking at systemic racism and bias and how that shows up in our care. Yeah, we do. I think that, you know, as a nurse and um, I'm probably generalizing, but maybe not very much. I think that especially in areas where um, there's a predominantly Caucasian community in our healthcare systems, you know, more white doctors and nurses, more white patients, there's an assumption made that um, poor outcomes have to do with poverty or neglect or violence. And it's simply not true. And that's, you know, just evidence of racism on our part, that that's the way we're looking at the situation rather than looking for deeper answers. And um, go ahead. Yeah. And I mean, I think there's a trend in general to problematize women, right? And so if something's happening to you, it's your fault. You're the problem. (laughs) Um, And, you know, and that happens in terms of women across the board, but uniquely with black women because of, you know, kind of like the, the stereotypes that have historically been heaped upon us. And so it became very easy to say, well, black women are obese. So black women have high blood pressure. Well, let's ask why that is, you know, so that's a question about what, what's accessible in their neighborhoods in terms of healthy foods. That's a question about, well, is there a safe place to exercise? Even those things don't occur in a vacuum. Don't, you know, they, they occur as a result of other factors. And the fact that we've kind of looked at these things in that way has been detrimental to all women um, and and mostly and and even more detrimental to Black women who are paying the highest price with their life. Yeah, yeah. And I think that there is also a tendency to be dismissive of women Mm -hmm. and what they're saying is their truth. Because as healthcare providers, I think that we are trying to satisfy, we're trying to tick all the boxes that our healthcare system tells us are important. We have to go through all of our checklists. We have to go through all of our monitoring and policies. And that is where a huge bulk of our focus and time goes. And there's far less training in the softer skills that used to be more prevalent with nursing, listening, adjusting, compromising, and mm-hmm. serving. And Yeah, I mean, I mean, and like I say, I mean, the healthcare professionals are working within a system too, and the system has failed them as well. You know, they have a very checkbox uh, way of doing things, which, you know, is, is unfortunate. And so they have to, you know, they're under pressure, often understaffed with not a lot of time, but those are the places where biases show up. Right. And those are the times when you're thinking, you know, who's going to be more helpful or, you know, thinking about an attitude of why do you think she has an attitude? You know, <laughs> you know, just it's, it's in those kind of rush moments. And because of that, 
we kind of got acting on an impulse that may be framed around bias and stereotypes about who black women are. We've seen these ridiculous scientific reports, and I'm using my air quotes, about black women and their pain tolerance. And so, you know, if you've been told that black women uh, have a higher pain tolerance, so when she's telling you she's in pain, then you're not going to take that seriously. You know, so, you know, it's so we, we have to really think about the systems and not just um, uh, uh, the person, but the environment. Even when we think about, you know, I say this a lot when I travel the world to speak is that, you know, we're talking about this evidence based maternity care. Very important. But we also have to ask evidence based on whom. Right. And right. so even our science, quote unquote, science that we're using has been, you know, mostly framed around one experience. And that is usually white women of privilege. And so when we really start to unpack it and peel away the layers, we can see how this group has been, one, left out by research, left out by science, burdened by stereotypes, and, you know, harmed by a system. Um, and, and until we kind of start having those real conversations, you know, we're really not going to get anywhere. Yeah, yeah. And even those studies that are looking at um, maternal health from a Caucasian perspective, most of them are not about women. Most of them are about babies' outcomes, not women's outcomes. So, you know, Mm -hmm. even a smaller slice of the pie, it's really amazing, especially at a time when we are struggling in the United States with um, really terrible maternal mortality and morbidity rates, and they're not going down. No, I mean, and and to your point, our infant mortality rates are not impressive for our, for for the status of our country either. Um, mm-hmm. And certainly, the black infant mortality rates are 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 you know horrible. So yeah. we we yeah. really, I mean, if you look, and for me, you know, you you look at the the status of mothers and children and infants, right, as really a a, a as a harbinger for the society, as a way to gauge a society, and in that regard, we are doing woefully poorly in many measures around maternal health, infant health, um, and all those things that really should reflect our societal values. And when you think about it, they actually do reflect our societal values. We yes, just don't do. want to be honest about what those values actually are. <laughs> right, right. And you know, during this. Uh, particular administration and presidential campaign, I think that we're really taking a solid look at that. And a lot of citizens are saying, yeah, I'm okay with that. Yeah. We really don't value women and children. That's okay. Cause we value all of this other stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Other uh, yes. candidates. Yeah. Other candidates are saying, wait, 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 let's talk about this. So it's, it's an interesting time to be alive, especially as a woman. Yes, it is an interesting time. I mean, when we look at what's going on with reproductive rights on the legal stand front, you know, it's it's a scary time. Um, and so this is why it's really important that, you know, we as women really get together to make sure that we stand up for all women. One of the things that I've been quite vocal on social media and, in you know, in my speaking work about is that, unfortunately, in this country, we frame, we've framed reproductive rights as the right not to have a child, very important. The right Mm -hmm. to an unwanted pregnancy, also very important. But also, what about the right to actually give birth to that child, not die from it, and then feed what your uh, body produced? That is a reproductive right, too. And until we not frame this, until we start to frame reproductive rights, not just about not using them, 
but also about using them and having the protections and policies in place to do that, we are not going to be building a broad-based women's movement. That doesn't include all women. How's that going to work, right? Right. I think the studies say that 70 or 80% of women become mothers in their lifetime, but yet we are thinking about the protections to not use your reproductive organs, which are very valid and important, but we don't think about, in, in, in the same conversation, the protections that women deserve when they choose to. And that's where I hope this next revolution uh, occurs in terms of feminism and reproductive rights, that we are also including the rights that women need when they do use their reproductive organs. And that is critically important and woefully lacking um, in, in our dialogues. It's so often framed as women's issues, therefore less than. But this is humanity's issues. These are men's issues. Mm-hmm. These are family issues. Everybody needs and has a mother. Everybody. And everybody. Mm-hmm. Everybody has a mother. Hands down. Right. <laughs> right. We we all came from a mother. So yeah. um yeah, yeah. And I think that, you know, when we can show that this is not about uh, one group, it's about all of us, which includes, you know, us as women, like not creating these dividing lines between, you know, people who have stretched out their uteruses and those who haven't. And, you know, like how do we also as women not kind of perpetuate the thing that's happening above us and around us, right? How do we kind of coalesce around the issues that we know matter um, for all women and not be kind of distracted by these dividing lines that have been there? Um, And so, you know, it's really, really important. And and I, to your point, it's to me, especially at this time, at this very pivotal point where we're going to have to decide as a nation who we are, that, you know, we, that we think about these issues as being included in, 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 in how we're thinking about what's next. Included and prioritized, don't you think? Included, absolutely. Included and prioritized. Absolutely. Do you dream about what the world would be like if we made women's lives the priority? It's never happened. No, it's never happened. I, I do dream about that. And, you know, because I've had the privilege to travel uh, around the world and to go to other countries where you see variations of it, I mean, certainly there are many countries doing much better than us. And obviously, no, no one has an ideal. But when you see, you know, I mean, we think about something very basic. We are the only industrialized nation that doesn't have a paid family leave as a federal policy. It's ridiculous, you know? know. It's like us and Papua New Guinea or something. And, yeah. you know, um, and, and when you see what even something that small does for prioritizing motherhood in that early phase, when you see that people, you know, one of the things I'm often talking about is that mothering in this country is not valued as important work. And that, you know, it, it doesn't make sense to me that I could pay somebody else to watch my kid, but nobody will pay me to watch my own kid, even if I just want to give myself back money that I put aside. Right. So, you know, but like our system of not valuing the mothering um, is as, as important work is really critical. And when you go to other cultures and societies and places where at least mothering isn't valued as something where you need to be paid to take time off to do, then that's such an important precedent. So, you know, it's a really critical starting point around, you know, the government's priorities and so that society's priorities. And we don't even have that. No. We've got very, very little. Yes. And so often the argument is, well, you're the one who decided to have a kid. If you couldn't afford it, you shouldn't have had one. Oh, nonsense. And, you know, and then I, I talk to women in Norway and Finland and even the mm-hmm. UK. 
mm-hmm. who, um, you know, tell me these incredible stories about their lives where they had six months, 10 months, a year of paid family leave so that they could stay home and breastfeed their babies. And they had healthcare providers who came to their home to make mm-hmm. sure that they had everything they need and they were feeling well. And they came often. Um, one woman told me that in the first few weeks after she had her baby, a healthcare provider came to her home every week, helped her with her laundry, made sure she got some food and a nap, sat with her and talked with her, reassured her, gave her information, helped her do her dishes. I mean, it's like, yes, please. That's what we need. Right. And and that's a standard practice in many, many places, right? You know, we have this very black hole postpartum and many people fall into that gap, you know, um, in terms of, you know, depression and, 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 and being overwhelmed and, you know, it just turns you off. And then of course, breastfeeding becomes frustrating. So you don't do that anymore. And it's, it's a setup for failure. It really yeah. is. And so the fact that any of us eke out some sort of meaningful, you know, breastfeeding experience, you know, you read these stories of women who are saving up vacation days and saving up sick days to to kind of carve out a uh, maternity leave. It's like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> this yeah. is ridiculous. Yeah. And, you and know, part of that- some women can't even do that because right, they some are- women can't be doing that. Yeah. They've got shift-based based Absolutely. work. Absolutely. Yeah. And, now we know that, what do they say, 25% of women are going back to work 10 days after childbirth. And in the places where I've been privileged to lead community projects in Detroit, Philadelphia, and many cities across the Southeast, uh, we see women going back to work in five days, you know, mm-hmm. and we've seen women, you know, it's just, it's just sad. Um, and you overlay that with the high rates of C-sections and you're like, oh my God. Right. So, you know, it's just it's just really um, untenable. And and, and I really need to add to this point here, Janie, that, you know, for me, a lot of this has feminist roots. Right. And that Mm -hmm. um, in our very important quest and our very important quest to be viewed as equal to men, that we've forgot to fight for the things that make us uniquely women and that feminism did not value mothering, you know, and there were good reasons at the time. And of course, no one should be forced to mother. But what about you choosing to mother and having that in space? And I think that, you know, now we see women forced into male work patterns. You know, now we're expected to, if you're breastfeeding, please go in this room because nobody wants to see you lactate. You know, it's, right. it's like, wait a minute, I just gave birth to a human here. Um, yeah. But there's, but there is this, you know, mothering was not important. And that, and now we're at the other side of that. And and we have to now make this a feminist issue um, because it is. It is. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I want to talk about Earth and I want to talk about your app. Yes. Can you tell me? Yeah. Tell me about this. Well, you know, this is a very interesting story. I got the idea for Earth from my own personal experience because when I was giving birth, as I mentioned, I was pregnant in in graduate school um, at Columbia, and I asked my girlfriends, where should I deliver? And at that time, most of my friends who were mothers and had experience in the city were my white girlfriends. So they raved about this one particular place, and I went to the same hospital and left traumatized. I mean, mm. traumatized. I was disrespected. Yeah. I had a C-section that I still can't explain. It was such a glaring uh, disparity. And in fact, you know, we were able later to joke, like, were you at the same place, right? But at the end of the day, at that point in my life, I was not yet married. 
And because I was still a student, I had student insurance and I was treated like an unwed black woman with basic insurance. And Mm. it became clear to me that, you know, having these reviews from, you know, middle class white women was not helpful for me at that time because of my circumstance. And so this is happening all over the country. And I've seen this in my work in so many cities that people are not getting treated the same way, even at the same place. The listening to mother survey is telling us that black and Latino women are reporting perceptions of disrespect um, and and poor treatment that's connected to their racial ethnic identity. So Mm -hmm. I had this idea around earth, which is the word birth, but we dropped the B for bias um, as a tool. So clever. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. As, As a tool that we could use to one, to be able to find a review from someone like you. So with the app, you will be able to go in and I could, and you could say, I'm a black woman. This is my income. This is my sexual orientation, my gender identification. This is my insurance type, the things that we know impact care. Um, And it would generate a review from someone like you so that you can see, hey, are low income black women being treated well here? Or is this a place where I don't want to go to? And do I have some options? What about Latina women? What about same sex couples? You know, it's a place for marginalized groups to to have a screen for who's being treated well or who has a review of good treatment. Now, what I'm real excited about is like on the back end, we now have this qualitative data that we can turn into quantitative data as a tool for change because these hospitals have been getting away with sitting through, you know, two hours of anti-bias training and then they check the box and it's done. No one ever checks back in to see whether that has improved the patient experience. We know that people from Serena Williams are being dismissed for their experience down to the sisters in Detroit that I listen to on a regular basis, right? And so but and so all of these stories get dismissed. And in my mind, I kept saying, we need to put all these stories in one place. We need to put all these experiences in one place because now when I go to that back to that hospital and we have thousands of women. Now we have some numbers that we can say, listen, this is not a one-off. This is not whatever. You have a problem. And we are actually putting on a public digital platform to hold you accountable. Um, Unfortunately, the hospital field has been very slow for self-regulation. And I believe that consumer forces, which have helped us in Uber and hotels and where we stay when we travel, that sometimes a consumer force needs to come in to help with uh, to help move our industry toward where they need to be. So that's what I'm excited about. We're actually seeding the app by going into five cities um, to do a review collection campaign. Earth is going to cover your uh, prenatal, so it'll be OBs and GYNs, your birthing experience at the hospital, and then up to one year of pediatric care. So we're capturing that continuum and we're allowing mothers to have a place uh, and, and birthing people to have a place where they can share their experience and let it be a tool for change, both positive and on the other side. And then on the back end, we wanna start holding these hospitals accountable. We're gonna be looking for trends and patterns and we're going to go back to them and say, here's your problem. You need to fix it. So this is what I'm super excited about. I am too. We're going to take <laughs> a real, real quick break. And then I want to ask you a couple more questions. Great. Okay, we're back. So um, one question that I had about the app is, is the app called Earth IRTH? 
Yes, IRTH. And it's not um, available now. It's launching nationally in fall. So we're kind of in beta mode and we're using it while we're collecting reviews at different cities. We just completed New Orleans. We just got funding to go into Sacramento. We're targeting New York and Detroit for the spring. And then we'll be launching nationally uh, in early fall. How about Los Angeles? Los Angeles is on my list. It's on my list. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They're better than some states. And how about in the South, Missouri, Mississippi? We really need you there. Yeah, we we need Earth there. I worked there with some projects with the Kellogg Foundation a few years ago. It's definitely a great need. So we're working on all of that. And then we really just wanted to make sure that there was something in the app so that when it launches nationally and we can still target these places, you know, there's something in there for, for somebody. Um, and then we need to open it up to fill up these other places. So many places need it. So many places need it. And here's the thing, yeah. Jeannie, I have been saying, we have to save ourselves. We have to save ourselves. This industry is slow moving. And I also need to say like earth is a tool for allies. So many white women say to me, listen, if a doctor or a hospital is not treating my black and brown sisters, well, I'm not going there either. And I appreciate that. And so we really want earth to be a tool for allies. One, we need white women in the app so that we can see any differentiation. It could just be a sucky place for everybody. Um, Mm -hmm. But we want to galvanize all women to say, share your experiences here, good or bad, because now we can begin to analyze it, look for trends, um, and then we can begin to publicly all be involved with reversing this poor Black maternal mortality rate and Black infant mortality rate, and that it can be something that we all can contribute to for all women. And that's what makes me really excited. Oh, Kimberly, you and I could talk about this all day long. It's true. And I would love to, but I'm I'm real mindful that you've got a lot going on. So um, I'm just going to ask you a few more questions, and then hopefully I can get you to come on the podcast again down the road. I would love to do that. I would love to do that. Good, good. So the most important question is, what else do you want listeners to know? And can they, is there a website that they can go to right now to learn more about you and Earth? What do you want listeners to know? Well, I want them to know that Earth is coming and is happening and that we need all women to support. Please go to birthwithoutbias.com where you can learn more about Earth. Um, look at our collection uh, campaign and how we're asking questions. So that's the most important thing. If you're on Instagram, please follow us at, at Earth App um, to, to kind of stay up to date. We'll be launching in Sacramento. We just love support. Um, and so to follow our journey and to really tell other people about this resource and that we can we can in battle bias and we can really use it as the root cause of what's going on in maternal mortality. Love it. Okay. Are you ready for our rapid fire roundup questions? I am ready. Okay. You already kind of answered my first one, but I'm going to ask it again because I think you're going to be brilliant. (laughs) No pressure. No, no pressure. (laughs) (laughs) What role does feminism play in your life? Hmm. Feminism is a framework for which I kind of move in the world. I, 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 it has a critical, I have a critical lens for feminism, but also have a great connection to it for what it could be. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's certainly a framework for which I move and how I think about centering women in this conversation and the need for women as mothers to be included. Yeah. Good answer. Okay. How would you fill in the blank? Nobody ever told me that. So many of those. Uh, Nobody ever told me that 
you know, there was discrimination in information around birth and breastfeeding and that my, who I was, my race and ethnicity would be something that would be impacting the care I received, the information that was given to me, all of it. No one ever told me that. You went into it blind. Yeah. 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 As if With optimistic labor. expectations. You know, they told me to work hard, go to college, get a good job. I did all that, figured I would be treated fairly on the other end. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And you went into birth and labor expecting to receive the same care and respect as your Caucasian sisters and did not. Yeah. Birth is rough enough, man. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Last question. Where are you in the world of motherhood? So I am at the college student, high school, sophomore uh, phase of motherhood, which is glorious and exciting. I was just saying that, you know, parenting long distance is more stressful. I've got one, you know, at college, she goes to Spelman College in Atlanta and I have one at home and it was much easier when they were both in the same house. So I am in the the distance parenting and the at-home parenting um, and it is a, a challenging period. I often tell people, people say breastfeeding is hard. I'm like, no, <laughs> motherhood yeah, is yeah, hard. Yeah. Like, if yeah. I could go back to my breastfeeding days right now, I gladly would. Like I pull out my breast and I would do it. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, and they can't get very far away from you. <laughs> exactly. I mean, so yeah. many things. So yeah, that's where I'm at right now, but it's a glorious time. And obviously watching my children grow up and become who they are in the world is one of the greatest gifts that I've ever had. So, um, you know, worth it. <laughs> So you have a sophomore in high school and what year in college? And I have a sophomore in college. Yep. I have two oh. sophomores. How I keep them straight. <laughs> yeah, me too. I have a sophomore in college too. We'll talk about that down the road too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Kimberly, thank you so much for spending this time with us. It's been great, but I really do feel like this is just the start of the conversation. So you and I will talk offline and get you back on the podcast again. Yeah, I would love that so much. It's been such a great conversation. Thank you for asking the important questions and and actually doing the important work so that we can have these dialogues and uh, places to to really think about things differently. So thank you so much. My pleasure. All right, we'll talk again. Okay, great. That's it for this week, everybody. Thank you for listening. You can learn more about Earth at irthapp.com. You can get in touch with me by emailing at gene at genefaulkner.com. Find us on Instagram and Facebook at Pregnancy Parenting and Politics. And I'm over on Twitter at Gene Faulkner. Pregnancy Parenting and Politics is produced by Recluse Records. We'll talk again soon. Bye-bye.